cultivating your citta sankara, the energy of the heart. So practicing the Brahma Vihara, then that you know, perception of that which is lovable or that which needs protection or, or help, the perception that brings up the the sankara, the volition towards bestowing well-being, protecting, so this would be the metta or karuna, or enjoying, participating, enjoying another's welfare, mudita, sankara, a kind of volition, a chetana towards mudita, or the equanimity, that, that volition that inclines towards seeing the whole picture, the ups and the downs, as this is the process of karma. It's not really a beings and entities. It's a karmic process. This is the this is the sea that we're in. This is the sea of becoming. It goes up and down, um, and we're all you know our conditioned elements are all part of that. They're not other than that. And so to oneself, you know, practicing equanimity towards oneself is like that. These, these conditioned elements are not other than karma, and it, it only goes up and down, sometimes rapidly, sometimes slowly. You know, you can't bank on it, but it's like that. And then towards other beings, conventional beings, and then the results of good and bad actions or whatever. But just just recognizing that in terms of cultivation towards oneself is only really the movements towards low, sinking, and then you know, coming into balance and then some enjoyment and then maybe welling up being with that and then sinking, it's like that and the different that process kind of old karma memories, perceptions, habits coming up to the mind so so we've established the perception of karma rather than perception of a being and that perception you know that that percept that acknowledgement this is actually you know who's in here there's just these voices and moves and surges how do you call that a being mm. who is that is it the same as this body or no is it you know it, it's like that isn't it it's kind of seeing these strands of becoming that when they're all bound together seem to be a three-dimensional person and these strands, these aggregates, these really they're just things in their own cycle body's moving in its cycle mind's moving in its cycle heart's moving in its cycle it's just, this is it you know. so the inclination to establish perceptions of that nature and then we become that's the that's the chetana, the volition that establishes volition towards equanimity, towards even mindedness, or even awareness. Oneself and others <coughs> communities go through ups and downs, discords, dissents, uh, enjoyments, harmonies. It will come and leave and come and go, and so on. You know, it doesn't mean that we don't, we're not interested, but just being able to get the balance um, with that means so we're not thrown around by it all. So you see how perception and the sankara is actually the the volition kind of the, the inclination that arises through that perception and we might first of all establish that inclination like I'm inclining towards metta therefore 
I need to formulate perceptions of that which is lovable. You know, where can I see that? How can I pick that up in myself or in others? So I can reflect upon keeping precepts or um, you know, being of service or whatever, you know. Being one who lives an arms food. Karuna, someone who who is that recognized that we are beings who feel the cold and the pain, physical pain, physical cold, and feel the distress of anxiety and worry, do not wish to have ill will, do not wish to have people dislike us, want to be trusted, want to be okay with others, do not like it if people shun us or uh, irritable or you know these kinds of things. So, mm, you know, needs some sense of needing that um, protective from these uh, abru- uh, abrasive contact to oneself and towards others that establish that perception. And then the, you know, so we. Then that perception strengthens the volition. The inclination t- in terms of um, other forms of s- samadhi is generally the inclination towards one pointedness and calm, which we may ch- choose. An object, breathing, the body, um, and subtle sign, sound of silence, subtle energies, bodily presence, luminous space, whatever. And we spend time dwelling in that and focusing in on it and smoothing it out to make it something we can stand on. Having made it something we can stand on, we make it something we can sit in and relax in so it becomes more than just a a kind of a, a tightrope point, but a real ample place we can abide in. That's our, that's the inclination. So we choose a percept that we can work with. Mm. Coming to the body, contemplating the body as the simplicity of the elements, for example, or the breathing. Something that's simple, so you, your mind isn't scattering in terms of too much analysis. Uh, and it's something you can reach and work with and soften and dwell in. Mm. That's the volition towards samadhi is like that. You know, with all of these, there's the um, there are imbalances. So the imbalances in terms of metta are one is um, over fond or fondles and get sentimental or lustful. Sometimes it's just sentiment, get kind of a bit soppy. <laughs> well, you know, but it, it's, it goes into an overbalance or karuna. We start to feel sad and anxious about everything. And that goes to imbalance. The imbalance of mudita is we get a little bit too exuberant. It's called um, like party going. Too much merriment, I think it's called. And the, the uh, imbalance of equanimity one becomes indifferent. They're <laughs> 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 no longer really attuned, but just so what. So these are when these things tip over, and what's happening? Actually, we're starting to. What what happens is that the um, one gets caught in the effect. So the the effect of that kind of the the, the tingle of well-being, the tingle that comes with uh, loving something, or that sense of the movement of the heart in compassion or 
or enjoyment or appreciation, a kind of a, a rapture that comes up. And then we, we rather like that. We like that heightened effect, the heightening effect. Mm. So then we thought, oh, that's nice. Something in us, we don't think this, but we m- get moved by these heightened effects. A little bit more op- operatic, if you like. Mm. And the same thing occurs in samadhi when we, we get fascinated with particular subtle signs or the sense of um, a certain even intensity itself becomes something that makes us feel more powerful or really getting there now I feel really you know a lot of energy really tanked up really focused strong powerful you get that kind of and one rather can rather enjoy that the intensity of it feels like we're really motoring now really getting along so what's happening is one is starting to fondle the the perceptual or the the effect the sankara itself the the movement of energy in these particular ways one fondles them so this this then you know it's better than other things of course so this is where these things go slightly out of balance because we're not getting to the end of the sankara we are in some way refining it but also empowering it so we don't come to the ending of the sankara, the ending of karma, the ending of sense of self. There's no, it's just a heightening of that. Or you know, and because it's a good one and a noble one in many ways, it's something that comes from a lot of in- integrity and commitment and renunciation. You know, it's the the best kind of becoming, and yet this is uh, so. But it's a, a falling short of what's possible. So when we cultivate the these these um, citta sankara through mindfulness of body, mindfulness of breathing, subtle signs, or using Brahma Vihara to, to uh, beautify and make the citta sankara something that's rich and, and wholesome and beautiful then also to recognize that other than the particular savor or flavor of that there are other things that are happening one is that the mind is becoming more one-pointed more focused, less distracted, steadier um, it's done do it, done some good work it's it's shrugging off particular hindrances so this is to be seen and noted um, one is so it's steadying and also there's a sense of establishing a kind of what I call a, a sphere or a certain domain mm-hmm. you know, and these so that sense you know and I and ideally you try to sustain that sense of being in your domain, you know, and not thrown out of it. So you've got something, and the domain is really um, internally. It feels like a particular tone, like a heart tone of of health or a bodily tone of being present and being uncongested and not being numb or not being shaky, feeling quite. Um, established and comfortable so you might say there's an internal bodily tone to that and a heart tone so the thinking mind isn't just kind of running around like a gerbil in a cage trying to find something good because it's settled in itself Mm. so this is this is one's domain um, mind that is um, settled and we contemplate that these are so then that that is then fit for the work of insight 
which is to contemplate this vihara, this domain, who's in it? Is there anybody in here? What gives rise to the sense of there being somebody here? This is the way to the ending of the Sankara. Because of course the what the Sankara energy is bound up with is being somebody who's doing something or being somebody who's getting something or being somebody who's getting away from something getting out or getting in or doing something so that volition itself is something that gives rise to the sense of there being an agent a doer who will benefit from their actions in some way or another so that along on the tail of that rides this um, notional being so when we establish that we come to the sense of feeling well in myself and okay in myself and then who is myself so we begin to contemplate these things and there are particular um, Sankaras that Sankara forms that establish that are the, the intention, the agency, the one who does, who needs to do, who can't do, who is doing. Um, that's one, one aspect of it. There's also that which is dependent on a particular object. So I'm getting my thing, I'm with my thing, whatever my thing is. You know, so I need to have my thing. My thing may be, you know, silence or breathing or whatever it is, structures. And the, the sense of contact, which is, I am the one who is touched. I am the one who is, receives impressions, the sounds, the sights, the mental impressions. It's touching me, you yeah. So these are things that, that we put special attention on to, contemplating. This is what insight is about. And all these three, these three intention, attention and contact are, are bound up together. And this is what consciousness is. It's this uh, awareness is programmed in, these particular, in this particular way. So we, there is a sense of something that seeks an object. So is that volition seeking an object, something that's made in the, is an, an object of attention, is the contact, you've got it. That's what consciousness is doing all the time. Mm-hmm. Now we can, so the first thing that we tend to do in practice is to limit or refine the objects, things that, so we're no longer just really haphazard, it's not like dodging cars, just stuff kind of thrashing away, it's a fairly steady one mm. and so that that calms down, makes the sense of self something that's much more manageable and pleased, and quiet peaceful, loving so there's a lot of hunger for appropriate contact some of that contact is going to be internal and just be with myself I need some time to be with myself give me some space so I can be with myself mm. and what do we do when, we, when I'm with myself well I walk around I sit, meditate some um, do some exercise read a bit, I'm making contact with all kinds of subtle and not so subtle things I thought you wanted to be with yourself no Let me. <laughs> is that yourself? Is the thing? Is the thing you read yourself? Is the thing you touch yourself? Is the thing you meditate on yourself, or what? Mm-hmm. So the idea, of, you know, being with myself is really uh, a, a fallacy. One is just is able to 
change or specify perhaps more freely the particular objects that one is going to be dependent upon. Which is all fair enough, as long as we know what we're doing, you know. But, um, and then, you know, what is that movement? So, what do we choose, and what do we, what do we move away from? What am I? What particular contacts am I averse to? What don't want to be with? This helps us to at least acknowledge the kind of, you know, the the, the karma, the volition, the push that's there. Let me formulate myself around this particular kind of contact and not that kind of contact, and I'll be happier. Um, and you know, in in a sum of the life, you've got to be scrupulous about this because the standard really is mendicant. You know, in other words, receiving what's offered and given: lodgings, robes, food. So you can't expect to have too particular a take on what kind of dwellings, food, so on is going on. You can't have too particular take on the kind of people you're going to be with. You know, there's immoral and interested in Dhamma, but then there's all kinds of people. You know? And in fact, there's going to be, you know, mendicant life, there's going to be contact in some kind of contact with people who, um, lay people who may not be that um, on the same wavelength. Yeah, that's all part of it. And you can recognize that in this forest tradition, whatever living in a forest about is about in Asia, it's certainly not about not having contact. I mean, you make stuff contacts you. <laughs> Definitely. They're very noisy places. They're biting places. They're pungent places. They're places with creepers and, and things that creep over you and things that nibble you. And uh, so there's plenty of contact going on there, yeah. and you've got to be on your uh, aware. Mm. So obviously, there's some degree of I'm not going to be contacting alcohol, violence, uh, you know, people who indulge in these kind of things, uh, and yet there's certainly there's only so much refinement of contact you can. Um, expect or aim for. After that you could actually contemplate how am I being contacted? And what's what am I, what's happening around that? The kind of withdrawal or the the excitement or the fear or the whatever's going on. Mm. And a good amount of this you've just got to kind of work with in the way that contact what happens at the place of contact. Because even, you know, when there's the external sense contact can disappear or be shut off, there's still the internal contact, the either subtle signs, percepts, or probably for most of us, thoughts, moods, images, memories, and so forth. You still move, going along, going along, going along, pleasant, unpleasant, and so on, still there. So contact has to be understood. You can refine it, but then eventually you've got to understand it and not um, depend on it. That means not depend on a particular form of it or it being absent, because there will always be contact as long as there is volition and attention. The three are bound up. So we refine also then we have to refine our intention, you know, be clear about our intentionality because that is certainly going to trigger off and be with a kind of contact. Like if, we be, if so, you know. And there's a certain intensity about intentionality, like a certain drive and push, and you can recognize it. <coughs> you know, I want this, I don't want that. You know, I, <coughs> how, I, how I move by things. We go into the cold. Mm-hmm. And it kind of wants to get out of that. We curl up, mm. and you know you can feel the, the the twang of intentionality, the kind of throwing of it, the way it pushes, 
for and against. So the normal um, intentionality is set up around becoming and not becoming. So we incline towards being in this particular sphere, this particular realm, warm, peaceful, quiet, or whatever it is, and away from another particular realm. And that process goes on, and so it goes on internally, where you get the inclination towards being in particular moods and perceptions, and disinclination towards being with other moods and perceptions. And the, so, the, so these two energies, bhava vibhava, wanting to be in and wanting to be out of, remain as powerful elements of, of intentionality. And again, as with contact, the average person, or not the average person, but the, the um, sincere meditating person will tend towards Vibhava, get me out. You know, this is what we're here for, isn't it? Getting out. But that is a, that is definitely a, an intention, and it establishes the basis for contact. The more we want to get out, the more that things that get in irritate us. More, so the more is that kind of intensity of pulling away from, then the more things tend to be experienced as abrasive. Just like when you tense up against something, then it, what touches you feels much more powerful than if one is relaxed. You're getting an injection in your arm, for example, or having a tooth pulled or something like that. If you get all tensed up around it, it feels a lot stronger. And with that vibhava, then say, okay, we get away from this and that, and that sound, and that sight, and that touch. And then we start to come into the inner realm. So our memories will kind of shut them off, and then one is often left with the very sense of the, the intensity of drive itself, of trying to get out. How do you get away from that? It can get really quite um, acute, this sort of pulling out experience. And sometimes your, your body energies just start to go um, sort of strange from that, from the intensity of that push, and it can even affect your, you know, your, your, your sense organs. People do sometimes go a little bit light-headed, or more than light-headed, no-headed, you know, <laughs> on, on that particular energy, <coughs> on the intensity of intentionality, and then we, we're in contact with that being affected by that. So, really just to be clear about those, those factors, intention, contact, attention, what we, what we formulate, or objects we formulate. When does the sound become a noise? When is it just the sound? When is it just an event? And the cultivation of insight, take, it works on breaking up the solidity of these things, so that, that an object is really not an object, it's just a series of events. Mm-hmm. This is a hearing event, this is a, a mood event, this is a visual event, and you know, you know, this is, and with all that it carries, this is the, you know, the kind of interpretations of things. They're, they are they're not things and objects are not objects, they are event streams, yeah. which if you contemplate them as someone you get that way of understanding, who is that person? You know, you realise it's something that's always shifting and changing in my mind. It's emotional takes on it and feeling, you know, comfortable, feeling slightly distant, feeling this, that or the other. You know, what is that? Not even physically, obviously physically we know we're changing, that's rather a slow thing, but actually right now. This is a Nietzsche. Contact, 
itself. So once we begin to look into the nature of objects and have that opportunity to do so, then that's a different kind of intention. You know, because intention is now no longer one on firming up an object because we firmed it up enough to be able to stay with it and then now, now we're trying to allow it to dissolve not trying to get rid of it but actually allowing it to, to break up into a series of events this is the way out if you try to push objects away you're, you're, you've still got this kind of pushing which begins to disrupt the calm or the clarity or the, or the, the collected sphere but to recognize objects as events is, um, is our basic insight tool. With that we can begin to sense the, how the contact changes. Once an object is no longer an object, it becomes a little less um, prickly. It becomes something that's more like, like cloud or mist instead of being something that's hard like a brick you get the feeling of things just waving through you you don't quite know anything so this is a, a cooling effect on intention because when there's nothing really to <coughs> aim for or hit or get away from your intentionality starts to quieten <coughs> down now this is this viraga, dispassion when objects become more uh, amorphous and intention becomes less impassioned viraga in sense of the, the intensities fading It gives rise to um, joyful surges or whatever. Then there's a benefit to that, and the benefit is it's just remedial to take away the ill will, or remedial to take away this dullness and stiffness, or remedial to take away the hankering and craving, or the negativity, or the fearfulness, the shock. You know, that, that's the remedy, so that one's sphere of being, one sphere of becoming is the best kind is a pleasant becoming and then we can start to more fully investigate this sphere, what it's made of made up of intention attention contact a certain lightness so with often in, in the cultivation of insight this primary tool of anicca is something that we bear with us as a motto you know <laughs> as a, our campaign slogan I vote for anicca you know. and so it's uh, uncertain my near things are changing mm. So even without a tremendously powerful um, degree of samadhi, just being able to attune to that particular sign. So this isn't a, this is the perception of impermanence. And the Buddha said this is the most favourable perception to cultivate in the long run. Other ones help one to, to get in enough good shape to do that. You know, they build up that possibility. This is the most profitable one, the perception of impermanence. Noticing a day change. Noticing people coming into a room and then bells rings and people scuttling out. You know, suddenly it's empty again. It's full, now it's empty. You know, it's like that. Noticing the days getting uh, longer, the uh, light, period of light getting longer, change in the weather, and how one can get so sort of co- so, so fixed on that. Oh, it's cold, it's all cold. And then, oh, it's changed. Oh and right, 
we, we, you know, we can bear through, we can move through the change. Mm. Sometimes, you know, maybe the gruel is hotter than other days, or there's no yogurt or the yogurt. Really simple things like that. So we don't lock onto particular um, things. And we use as our stabilizer just the sense of, well, we do stand for precepts. These are, these are things that, you know, we keep alive, we keep them going. We've got something to stabilize us with. We have meditation, we have the Dhamma Vinaya. This gives us a place to stand and we can then contemplate the change of things. So when you get into that, that shift, there's a softer and a more open sense and we can bring that to bear as we cultivate any of these bases of samadhi or brahma vihara both the object that we work towards or bestow that is ephemeral don't grieve over things it's ephemeral get stuck onto delightful objects or pleasant people. Doesn't mean don't recognise or enjoy, but don't get don't get stuck onto it. And this is something you know we have to work out for ourselves. It's not voluntary process, but begin to see, you know, feel the distress or the tension or the anxiety that occurs as we do and something just has to go through that process. It's not something you can say, okay, now are we non-attached? But through actually feeling that, the heart begins to, by itself, as long as you really witness and are clear about that, well, that wasn't quite right. And it's just, just ease up, just ease up. That's all, just kind of really, just ease up a little. Don't get so intense on that. This is the learning is like that. And things become kind of lighter and more fluid. And in each uh, cultivation of inconstancy, impermanence, uncertainty, ephemeral, relative, is, is taking these into the, the inner realm or our, our meditative sphere. Mm-hmm. Things are conditioned. There's no such thing as a thing. A nice little phrase I came across the other day, the only ultimate truth is there's no ultimate truth. (laughs) There's no kind of blinding light, this is it. There's no, you know, that's the ultimate truth, (laughs) there isn't one. (laughs) But, you know, where does does that leave? You know, it's it's 20 years or 25 years, I've been aiming for the ultimate truth, and then he told me there isn't one. But, you know, you can recognize how really the sense of you aim for something to, in order to, to loosen up one's aim on other things. But they always say the ultimate truth is non-clinging. You know, it's not, some, not something that is, it's something you do. You, you kind of, you flow in that particular way. And then objects come and go. That's their nature. And this is the impermanence, is also the doorway to understanding anatta, because when that's directed towards what one experiences oneself as being, we can see these are often impacted layers of pain, need, holding, mistrust, wanting. These are impacted. They don't necessarily appear like that. They can appear as, as some kind of aspiration. You know. 
it's not that there's something wrong with this, you know, you're naughty, you shouldn't have those, but, but you know, the goal orientation is really, uh, um, you know, is, is, an, is what suffering is. It's not, you know, there's no blame in that, it's just the way it is. So we don't want to believe in the goals because they're really the, the reflex image of our own suffering. And as we cultivate towards notional goals, the you know, eventually these kind of this goal experience can begin to evaporate. It's just I'm all right now. You're all right. You know. So, um, you know, as I was saying with the Brahma Vihara is contemplating how one senses oneself is a good idea of work way of recognizing or how one senses oneself particularly in a context in a sphere you know the wish to get away or the wish to be this way or to be with that you see one's living in a realm of need you know that is impoverished um, I feel slightly defensive, wary, a degree of mistrust there. Um, I feel a bit again, ha- hang on to something good because I might not get many, much of those. This is an impoverished realm. Um, so, this is, so these are the sense of the, these are the impacted um, senses of neglect and pain and suffering. This is why I think, personally, Brahma-vihara is a very lovely cultivation towards oneself, developing the perception of being in a loved place, being in a nourished place, being in a benevolent place, sitting in that. Wondering what that feels like. and cultivating it so that you get the sense of how the, on an energetic level, how one starts to feel slightly more soft, radiant, relaxed, grounded because there isn't that panic to get out and there isn't the tightness of defending oneself what's it like when you're in a warm place a blessed place, a loved place and something kind of face relaxes and suddenly energies don't feel so tense and tight anymore mm-hmm. so you know just being able to kind of gently clean away these impacted um, layers of suffering and ill will because that's what this is what the latent contact contact is about contact that we don't really recognize as contact because it's not you know physical realm but it's the it's the mind realm the heart realm the heart is in a desert or in a bomb site or something like that you know. that there's there's the contact is like that can we so and and this kind of contact is the most powerful even though it's some almost magical in a way we don't really recognize it we're seeing things we're seeing people we're seeing these, these external senses seem so important but it's the internal sense that's the most important one because that's what really grips the heart external senses only touch us through the medium of perception through what our mind makes of it so what you make out of sight and sound what the heart makes out of it is what touches us. And if so, even when there isn't sight or sound, we can still be in this realm that we've grown so accustomed to, we don't recognize it anymore. When you live in England for a while, you don't know what cloudy day means because they're always cloudy. <laughs> you go to somewhere, you know, like, with brilliant blue skies. Well, when I was in New Zealand, I didn't, you know, you see how many stars, they've got more stars down there. Where do they get them from? 
The air's not all kind of mucked up. But you get used to only seeing, you know, 100 stars rather than 10,000. That's, that's, that's it. So you don't see the brilliance because your heart is wrapped in this occlusion of neglect and mistrust or, you know. So naturally, I want to get out of this. I want to get out of this. I want to get out of this. But you don't, you don't, can't just skip the process because, you, you know, it leaves your intention is still in this kind of needing, frenzied, defensive state. We can clean that. Then the intentionality becomes something much softer, is able to be used for its most beneficial purpose. You know, certainly a part of it is remedial. And we can do that with metta or with samadhi. But the other thing we use to intentionally is to intentionally investigate the nature of conditions, the nature of perception that's changing. And this is the most skillful kind of karma. It leads to the end of it, rather than to, to more of it. Noticing, and these the, then the external contact doesn't mean so much. This is kind of the famous anecdote, which you know that I think Lumpur Dandon, who's lived in the Surin, and there's this ele- elephant fair there. And the monastery's right in the town. The elephant fair is firing off rockets, and elephants trumpeting, honking around this monastery. In the middle of people trying to meditate. And they're saying, well, I can't, you can't, this noise. And he says, that's, that's the duty of sound. Mm-hmm. Sound's duty is to make noise. Why bother yourself with it? Leave it alone. Why, why do you take an interest in it? Let sound do what it needs to do, and you do what you need to do. <laughs> it must be difficult living with such a man. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously he got it sorted out. <laughs> you know, he was able to actually hold that. Now, I remember on occasion when I was on Tudong with Ajahn Goesako, we went to a, a monastery in Chantaburi. And uh, this Ajahn was they were building this enormous sala. There's a four-story sala. And there's this pile drivers and power drills and people banging and crashing and so we were told oh the Ajahn's up there if you want to go and pay your respects the Ajahn is up there somewhere so we're looking around and he said oh he's on the next floor we came to the next floor he's going where is he he's going crash 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 and there's a kind of little pile of Buddha images in one corner and he's around there so he's, and he's sitting on his chair there's a little metal chair which wasn't big enough there's a little metal chair his knees hanging over it just sitting there his eyes closed, quite still. So there's this crashing and banging going on. Oh, well, it must be, it's like he's really in something or the other. Must be in kind of fourth jhana or something, because he wasn't being bothered by anything. He was sitting there completely still and serene. We stood there, we were about three or four meters away from him, I suppose. Thinking, well, should we? Maybe we should, well, perhaps we, maybe we'll go away. And as we were thinking that, he opened his eyes. Mm. So how do you know we were there? <laughs> we, we, you know, I mean, we'd jumped up and down. It wouldn't have made any. The noise wouldn't have been that significant. There's obviously somebody who's, who's really attuned. He can pick up other people's presence with his eyes closed. And yet, so, what's all this sound doing? This stuff. So, he'd been practicing for a while. He'd been in Samanera with Ajahn Mun, so he'd probably done about 50 years of practice, I guess. It's okay, you know, these are extreme examples, but it's kind of like that. It's almost as it, I'd say there's an energetic quality with sankharas, which I 
try to point out, you know, the, which is the intensity of the push, that's an energy. Something which firms something up is held energetically, it's like it's locked. So objects are really waves that are locked. And it's an energy that's holding them there. Because they really are waves, you know. So something is holding, that's an energy that holds it. It's the energy of, of, of attention. And contact is the energy of something is resisting or, or hungering. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what makes that's what makes contact so pungent for us, so poignant. You know, something it can occur when that energy of sankara is nourished, and then we begin to just ease up. That the energy is then not intensely forming something or resisting something or favoring something as, as energy starts to it, like it shifts and it settles and once it's settled and knows itself it doesn't do that you know? this is nipita it's like it doesn't go out there and this uh, so you know strongly recommend in in practice just being able to establish a reasonable boundary and you know um, and then contemplating you know the change the impermanence and the things that you get really strung up by or affected by okay this is not blaming anybody but okay we'll just try to you know, feel out what's really happening there. Is there some where can that where can that sense of space or letting go or release occur? Try to let things change. Trust it. Thank you.